Hi everybody, we're joined today by Aki, the trilingual creator behind the Webtoon Canvas series, Villainous for Hire. She has lived in China, Canada, and Japan, and is no stranger to making comics that elicit deep thought and emotion, like her viral short comic, Nine Lives, you might have come across on Tumblr in the past. It was a blast to unpack Aki's story, learning about how her knowledge of Eastern and Western cultures informs her approach to shaping stories, her involvement in the Tonari no Young Jump competition judged by Assassination Classroom's Yusei Matsui, and how it kicked off her creative portfolio in comics, and her pragmatic approach to making comics that you can potentially use to have fun and enjoy the work. Here's Aki. Aki, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. To start, do you mind introducing yourself to everyone? Sure. Hi, I'm Aki. I would call myself a hobbyist creator. I am the author of the webtoon, Villainous for Hire on Webtoon Canvas. And I've done a few one-shots that are floating around the internet somewhere. Uh, and so I'm also an illustrator. Yeah. It's a pleasure to have you on. On your Twitter profile, uh, you say that you speak three languages, yeah. Japanese, Mandarin, English. As I see that you speak three languages, do you think this has an influence on the types of art or the types of stories that have influenced you as a storyteller today? I would say yes, because I guess thanks for noticing, first of all. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Thanks for noticing, but then I would say yes, just because I think when you speak more than one language, what it essentially means is that you have access to more content than someone who speaks only one language, right? So for me, I've been extremely privileged that I have been able to access like a mixed bag of media from English-speaking countries, from Japan and from China, you know, nowadays, you know, with things being translated from all over the world, I think it has really kind of shaped my influences just because they're all over the place. So they naturally find a more a, a balance somewhere. <laughs> I can kind of see the differences with how stories are being told in all three different languages, different regions of the world. I, I personally think it's like fascinating to like see and sometimes I want to talk about it with people. I know it might be difficult to distill, and I'm someone that has looked at stories from a few different cultures. I'm My parents are, are Indian. I grew up in the U.S. I've been a big fan of anime and manga, so I've seen stories from different regions, but I'm curious to get your perspective. As you talk or think about the stories that you've seen from different backgrounds, how would you describe the differences between the different stories that you've looked at? Do you think there are certain cultural themes, or do they kind of blend together and make it hard to distinguish the difference between one another? I would say yes, there are definitely um, different cultural themes embedded in the stories, because if you just take the example of, um, let's comparatively look at two countries, right, the US and Japan, mm. the culture is completely, at its core, it's completely different, because US is much more individualistic, Japan is much more collectivistic, right? So a lot of US, like stories from the US or from um, the US-influenced West are going to be about like self-discovery um, about, you know, someone emerging as a full individual. Other as um, a lot of the stories from Japan that I see, especially the ones that haven't been translated, a lot of them are about how, um, someone, maybe if a child grows up, how they grow up into a, an adult that fits within the society of Japan, if that makes sense. Mm. So the themes at its core 
are going to be a little bit different. But on the surface, you will see a lot of similarities. Like the genres are obviously the same. So romance mm -hmm. is, is everywhere. Things like action are going to be the same. So I think on the surface, some of them, they have a lot of similarities. But um, if you look at the messages and the themes, sometimes they are quite different. So another interesting thing about your background, you moved from Canada to Japan. I'm someone that has experienced a lot of Japanese culture just through the stories that I read. It's very different when you're actually living in Japan. How do you think that, you know, the fact that you've seen two very different cultures and been able to live in those two places, how has that affected the stories that you tell? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I would actually say I've actually experienced three different cultures because when I was very young, um, I lived in China as well. So I have experience in China, Canada, um, and Japan. I think that just having all this experience living in dif different countries, you get a much more broad perspective of, um, you know, just what uh, the thoughts of different people and how different people's values really can be depending on the society they live in right because in different when you live in different places um, you notice that every place has its own set of values that people have and why that's important why that I think affects like the types of people the types of personalities that are on the ground is because you know society tells you different societies tell you that different things are valuable Right. So in Japan, being the same as others often is very much valued. On the opposite, if you are someone that stands out, sometimes you do get like a lot of like negative backlash from society. Right. So I think it's really helped me write as a creator because I can kind of understand where certain characters' personality traits may come from or their different characteristics or why they think a certain way. Um, and it's been especially helpful because I'm writing a historical series right now where their entire context is going to be completely different from ours. They're mm. going to value different things from what we do. And uh, yeah, so I think my background, although it's strange, has helped me there. So let's talk a little bit about how you got into visual storytelling or storytelling through comics. How did you sort of develop your taste for art and how did you get into uh, storytelling? So my taste for art, I mean, I started watching anime when I was maybe 11 or 12 um, and one of the first shows I watched was Inuyasha and I was like so obsessed with it um, back then I think shows like Inuyasha and what, what was airing on TV at the time were other things like Sailor Moon um, oh what was it oh Full Metal Alchemist the first mm. one and then um, so, so I actually got maybe my start in shonen <laughs> like mm. as like just inspiration wise and then just to, not to go too much into my background or anything like that but in high school I was actually enrolled in a visual arts program so what that meant was I had not like normal courses and then I had a visual arts component where on top of my normal schoolwork um, we were essentially spending like 30-40 hours a week drawing um, doing art art history uh, and all of that. So that's where I kind of got a foundation in how to paint. So mm -hmm. I can do uh, watercolor, acrylic, um, all that stuff as well from that background. Um, so I think it was like a mix of those two things, right? Like wanting to, uh, sorry, being inspired by sequential storytelling and then having a little bit of like um, a more traditional kind of arts education 
Uh, and I took that and kind of like mixed it and did my own thing outside of school. And then, you know, you mentioned this art background that you, you've had from a very young age. Um, what pushed you to create your first uh, webcomic? And let's start with the, the nine lives one shot that you did in 2015. Yeah, I actually, the timeline is a little bit fuzzy for me because it was so long ago, but I'm not sure if Nine Lives was actually the first one I've ever created. Hmm. Um, I think before that, there was a story that I um, had entered into the, uh, I believe it was the Young Jump competition. Um, hmm. that, was, that it was the, Tonarino Young Jump um, online platform. So that's uh, that's the platform where I think One Punch Man got started, right? And they were like running a competition. And I was like, huh, they accept digital submissions as well. Because back then, I think it wasn't as common to get um, digital submissions. A lot of manga magazines and stuff, they were looking more for like traditional like manuscript copies and stuff like that. Um, so I was like, huh, maybe I'll try my hand at it. I've always been interested in like manga and I have my own stories that I want to tell. Why not? And one of the judges at the time was um, Yusei Matsui, who is the author of titles such as, uh, uh, I don't know the English title, but one of his most famous works is uh, Assassination Classroom. And then you mm. might have heard of that. He's one of my favorite shonen um, writers and manga artists to this day. So I was like, huh, this is a good chance to get my work seen by my idol kind of thing. So I entered that. I did um, win like a small award. Oh, congrats. Yeah, it was very shocking. I was, I think, 19 at the time. So I was like, huh, this was fun. So after that, I, you know, I continued posting on social media and then just one day had an idea. I, I think it may have been like a video I was watching of, of a cat or like something Maybe it was like one of those goodbye videos that or are on YouTube, you know, when people say goodbye to their pets and, you know, mm. I cry like buckets over that. So I, I think someone had some someone had said something in that video like, um, you know, I, I, I know you're waiting for me on the other side to their cat. And I was like, oh, I was it just like hit struck me in the heart. Um, <laughs> And, you know, and then I, I somehow my brain was like nine lives. What if they had nine lives? What if you could meet them, you know, more than once in your, mm. whole, your one lifetime? And so that idea um, kind of turned into nine lives. And I, I, I initially tweeted about it and I got a few comments and I was like, huh, people, th this might be interesting. It, it took me only maybe less than a week. And then I just drew it out. I was like, and back then Tumblr was all the rage. So I was just like, post on my Tumblr, uh, maybe a few of my followers will see it. But it was really weird because I woke up the next day and it had like 20K notes at the time. Wow. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. So my, my, no, I wasn't even on my phone at that point. It was still a desktop main thing. So I was like, oh my God, my notifications are exploding. <laughs> and then the following week, it got picked up by like random people all over the internet and I think it was on Reddit. Um, it was on like, what, 9gag, if you remember that website. Yeah. They did not ask for my permission, by the way, yeah. which is okay. Whatever. Um, I'm over it. It was crazy. It was everywhere. And people were telling me, oh my God, I saw it. You made me cry so much. And I was like, oh, oh gosh. I, it was really overwhelming, to be completely honest, in a good way. 
So you took that step in your journey. And I have to admit, I thought nine lives was incredible. So I am one of those 20,000 people who were like, what the fuck is happening here? It was incredible. So you, you did that. And then you took a little bit of a break before you launched Villainous for Hire last year. So how did you think about your, your creative process from you know 2015 until then? Were there things that you were working on on the side? Or did you want to take a little bit of a step away before you returned to uh, creating things? Yeah, so looking back, I moved to Japan in um, 2016. And when you move somewhere new, you definitely need a period of adjustment. And for me, actually, that was longer than I expected. And mm-hmm. I ended up not drawing that much for about three years or more, like almost four years. And I was really just adjusting to my life here. Oh, getting married. Uh, <laughs> oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, and then I was also burnt out, to be quite honest. I didn't realize at the time, but looking back, I think I was definitely burned out. And I had my start really early on the internet. So I've, I was on it from maybe like when I was 12 all the way up to when I graduated university, right? So I was raised, I was one of those kids that was like essentially raised by the internet. And I had been posting online for like almost 10 years at that point. And I was just like, mm, I, I, I don't know if there was anything interesting left for me to do anymore or think anymore. I think social media was really starting to, the landscape was starting to change a little bit at that time as well with the shift more to Twitter and these other websites. Instagram was getting bigger, um, all these kinds of things. And I was like, maybe it's just time I take a step back and to input, right, instead of output. Um, and I think that's quite important to have that balance of input versus output. At the point that I stopped, I'd just been producing, 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 producing for like how many years? Yeah. I sold at cons as well. And I maintain a pretty regular posting schedule on my like blogs, uh, on DeviantArt back in the day as well. But But I think ultimately that was the right decision for me. Although... I think I missed the like golden growth period of Twitter and uh, Instagram. I think if I had kind of persisted and continued posting, I would be further along in my art career. But I don't know, like, I think I'm happy now. So (laughs) I like the way you said I needed to input instead of outputting because the demand on anybody who creates anything today is, is extraordinary. So what made you say, okay, there's a story I need to tell and I want to create this thing. What was the kind of point for you where you wanted to tell your next thing? I think it was like a compulsion. Like I wanted to see what would happen um, as well. Like sometimes when you have an idea, you kind of sit on it. Like it's like a brain worm. It just like sits in your head and doesn't go away. I think if you've had an idea like that stuck in your brain for maybe like a month or two, then maybe it's time to see what you can do about it. And I think Villainous for Hire was one of those ideas. And I think where it emerged was essentially, I'd been reading a lot of like Isekai, uh, Villainous, Reincarnation, Royalty, kind of like romance stories, uh, just from Korean platforms mainly. And I was like, why are all these women like unwillingly being cast as the villainous, right? Well, why, why is it that they are like unwilling to do it? Very simple question. I like it. Yeah, You're yeah. like, why? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, so I, sometimes, sometimes like uh, my personal opinion, sometimes 
reincarnation stories don't need to be reincarnation stories. It's I know I understand it's a way of like setting it up so that the reader can like easily go in the story and like um you know understand it from a modern perspective. But honestly, sometimes the historic it 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 takes away from it, and you're like thinking, so this person is supposed to be like a modern character, yet they act like nothing like a modern person would. So it's personally, I, I'm not a huge fan of um, isekai stories that don't need to be isekai stories. But, you know, so my idea with Villainous or Higher was like, what if someone chose to be a villainous, right? What would happen? Why would someone do that? And I think that thought really um, uh, kind of was the beginning point for this entire story. Um, just so what if, I think, was the inspiration for that story. And it, it had been stuck in my head for a while. You know, so if you made a villainous the protagonist, then how do you write the antagonist, right? So uh, the antagonist would have to be probably like a more heroic kind of character, someone who's a little bit, you know, the opposite of the villainous as well. So um, that's where Alina came from. And then, you know, how do I connect these two people together. Oh, one thing that actually helped me was inspiring was, um, so in Japan, there is a concept called rental girlfriend or rental uncle or rental family where you can rent like all sorts of people to help you do certain things. Um, And uh, so I thought, what if there was a rental villainous? if I had a business and I had to fire my employee and I didn't want to fire my employee, what if I hired someone to help me fire my employee kind of thing? So that, that would be like a modern example, but um, in a historical setting, you know, what could she do kind of thing? So I think for me, the process was really like starting with one idea and adding things on top of it. I'd love to talk about your art style. I am a huge fan. It feels very, very mature in the sense that like, You've been drawing for like a lifetime and it's like fully formed. I'm sure as, as someone that draws the panels, you, you may feel differently, but I look, look at it as a fan and I'm just blown away. How did you develop something that feels so polished, so clean? So just like, just as a fan, there's a lot of visual impact that comes from it. What were things that you think you did in your creative process that allows you to create such stunning panels? Thank you. I, I honestly don't have much confidence about my art just because there's so many amazing artists out there. I think a lot of creators may be able to relate, but you just compare yourself to them no matter what. It's kind of hard to get away from that. Um, In terms of process, I think one thing that I do is I look at my work on many different devices. I, I try and, you know, think about what my work will look like on these different devices. So for example, on your phone, um, it will look completely different than what it looks like on desktop. So Villainous for Hire is really made for a mobile experience. Um, And I I try to tailor the visuals to that experience. Um, And it's not something that I was, like, I started off being good at. I don't even think I'm that good these days. But um, I'm still learning. And I think that's just a core concept that I carry. So you also produce episodes, you know, fairly regularly and the updates have a ton of panels to them how do you manage you know juggling what you do outside of creating your webtoon along with producing such media updates for your fans the main thing for me is that i'm very disciplined and routine as a person i think it's just a part of my personality 
just to give you context in school, I never missed a deadline my entire academic career. I wish I could say that. It's so false for <laughs> me, but props for doing that. Thank you. I mean, so I, I've never missed the academic deadline in my entire schooling. I think one of the habits that I um, have that has been really helpful there is time blocking. Mm. So I block off two to three hours every night to work on the webtoon. And that's usually between hours of 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. Mm. So I think having that structure, it's, it's just a habit for me now, like 9 p.m. Oh, it's 9 p.m. I have to sit in front of my computer. I have to draw no matter what it is. And then um, I, once I had that habit built up, I could then start time blocking my calendar for the monthly, um, on a monthly basis. So I'll take a look at the monthly calendar. I will, I, I kind of know just from experience how long it takes me to do each thing now. So um, if you look at my Google calendar, it is actually blocked off really rigorously. Like, so I take about three to four days to write, two to three days to thumbnail, 10 days for line art. I like I kind of know what I have to do for this entire next month to be able to produce what I want to produce. And then I also batch create. So I create two episodes at once. It's usually around 90 to 100 panels. If you do things in batches, so if you line art the entire thing, you never get taken out of that flow mm. and you can do it faster than if you were working on it one episode or one panel at once I think because switching back and forth between yeah. the tools takes so long it takes so much time I, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this or is it just me but yeah so like um I also do my work on different devices so I have my iPad for outlining and then I do everything else on my um, PC so I I think that switching back and forth would not be possible unless I was able to batch create and in terms of your character development, a lot of your characters are like, their personality kind of punches through. Did you have certain places that you drew for inspiration for your characters or what was your process for coming up with them? I know there's various different ways creators go about this. I am personally like a story first creator, I think. Mm -hmm. So I start with the story. I think about what kind of roles are needed for this story. And then I cast my characters. So I, I feel like it almost feels like a film adaptation of some sort. So you have the script, right? And then you have the roles that you want everyone to play and then you find the most suitable person. For me, I don't really necessarily think I want to base a character off of this person. For me, it's more like this role is open and probably the, the perfect candidate will have these characteristics. Mm. Kind of like I'm a recruiter or something like yeah. that. <laughs> they just kind of... Um, they, they kind of pop into my mind uh, with those characteristics. And sometimes it's it's something like, you know, um, that if they have a particular role in a story like the prince, like a prince cannot be super dumb because they would be killed in history, in history right? Like um, if, if they have competition, they cannot be just like a sitting duck, right? So I think those logical like and, and that's just kind of like a logical thing that comes with that character so when I think about the personalities and their development that is where I think it comes from mm. in terms of feelings or themes what do you want your readers to feel as they read your comic intrigued maybe is the one thing also I think I want them to think a little bit as well 
Um, and I think that's why I've crammed so many, maybe too many themes into the story. Um, I, I do think about theme quite a lot when I'm writing. And I, I don't know if anyone else does. I'm kind of I'm quite interested in like hearing if other creators do this as well. Um, but I, I do think about the themes that I want to incorporate in the story before I start writing. I think um, for me, one of the missed opportunities of the villainous genre of stories is, you know, the there's no discussion on morality. Um, and if you, so, so if you're exploring a concept like a villain or a villainous, um, and I'm not saying this is like a concept that's never explored anywhere because it is in um, media and on TV and stuff like that with the, you know, recent rise in anti-heroes. But, um, you know, if you, um, so with, you know, so if you're, you have a protagonist that's kind of like a villainous, hmm. um, she makes a conscious choice to do things um, that kind of benefit herself at the detriment of others. And I think that's a little bit relatable to kind of each of us, because I think at one point in our lives, we've had to do something like that at different, at different like obviously different extremes, right? So think about like looking for a job, you have to like come on out on top of other candidates, right? Or, um, you know, if you're participating in any kind of competition, you want to be the one to win over other participants. But obviously it's, you know, at different extremes and there's different levels of morality and values in there as well. I wanted to kind of explore that theme in somewhat of a relatable way um, with a little bit of comedy to make it not too dark as well. Uh, and I, I hope it worked. I hope um, people do enjoy reading um, and they are interested and intrigued in what happens next. Yeah, I think we all have a little villain or villainess in us, whether we like it or not. So that's just the truth. You're close to 80,000 subscribers, which is an incredible achievement. How does it feel? I mean, you talked about the reaction that you had as an artist when you created your first one shot with Nine Lives. How does it feel now that you have a, a webtoon that has 80,000 subscribers? It feels surreal, to be honest. I don't, like, I can't process it because I, I think I've gone very lucky um, and webtoon kind of really, uh, especially in the beginning, kind of helped me promote it a little bit as well. So they put me in one of their like lists and um, sometimes I get on the front page of the app although closer to the bottom. So I think I've, it's mostly luck for, for me. But I just, I'm really appreciative of all the comments. Um, and I think my readers are so, they pay so close attention and they are very like good at guessing as well, which is kind of, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I'm like, oh shoot, kind of, I, I maybe, I feel like I'm playing a game with them sometimes because I try and surprise, because you always want to delight, right? As a creator. You want to delight people, but I, I, I have to try and kind of outsmart them <laughs> sometimes. I'm like, shoot, maybe this is too obvious. I, so I have to change like little parts of um, the script or what happens. But everyone's feedback is really, really like just important to me. And yeah, thanks so much, everyone, if anyone's listening. <laughs> you know, your audience, have you noticed anything in terms of where they're from? And I ask because, you know, we've talked about the different cultural backgrounds that you you have, and then the fact that you are producing a English comic, you know, being from Japan, is there anything that you've noticed about your audience as you've built out your webtoon? Yeah, so I mean, I actually write 
specifically for certain audiences, um, just because, you know, I, I know that certain things are not going to go up well in, as well in some cultures as in others. Mm. So I think Villainous for Hire was really made more for a Western audience. If I had been writing for a Japanese or Chinese audience, I think I would have um, some of the tropes and like themes would be a little bit different. But something that surprised me was it seems like I have readers from all different types of age ranges, which is really interesting. Maybe it is because there isn't, like the romance aspect isn't as big as in other, as it is for some other webtoons. Because I had heard a lot about, you know, webtoon is a very young audience, right? So I initially thought, oh, maybe I wouldn't, I won't get too much attention at all because I think my work is more for people who are maybe older teens, kind of like 20s, maybe even 30s kind of age group. Although I'm not like saying, I'm not limiting like who should read it, but I feel like it might appeal to these demographics a little bit more. Yeah, I was actually really surprised that people from all age ranges read it. Uh, and maybe I should start thinking a little bit about the messages that I send if there's like really young um, people who are reading it. Yeah, that's yeah. a <laughs> reminder for me. You're like, I'm shaping minds. I need to make sure that I'm thinking through what people are working with. But we've enjoyed the story so far and I, I know others are too. In terms of like things that you've learned, what have been the biggest things that you've learned as you've put this full production story out over the past year or so? Mm, maybe to just have fun with it because mm. I had a lot of anxiety before launch. And I was like, it has to be perfect. So the first few episodes, I, I took five or six revision, revisions of those mm. to make sure every line is like as it needs to be. <laughs> and I think we, as I became more experienced actually writing long form um, sequential content, I have learned that I, I could get away with a few more like adding like random like memes or like little mm. things in there um, that are just more fun. And, you know, the re some readers are going to appreciate that. And then I think one thing that a friend of mine told me uh, was not to pay so much attention to what other people are saying. Like feedback is great. It's really important. But at the end of the day, it's your story. And you are the only one that can write it in the way that you are able to. So like, I think that helped me not be so critical of yeah. my work. And yeah, I recommend it to other uh, creators as well if you are kind of stuck or if you're like concerned about the feedback that you are getting. So you talked earlier about, you know, how do you balance what you're doing with all your other obligations in life? Mm -hmm. Are there other things that you do just to keep yourself fresh, both mentally and physically? Because as we know, being a comic creator, is hard on its own. Being a comic creator and juggling a bunch of other things, including a full-time job, is its own challenge. So are there things that you do just to make sure that you're taking care of yourself as well? Yes. Um, and I pay a lot of attention to it and I make a very conscious effort to take breaks just because I know I won't if uh, I don't uh, think about it or plan for it in advance. So I'm, I'm a planner. You kind of probably already know that. Um, but I essentially plan for at least one break a week of me doing something other than sitting in front of the computer, mm. sitting in front of the iPad or anything like that. 
So it could be anything from fitness boxing, which is which I like to do uh, because mm. it works out your back and you know how important those back muscles are for us. <laughs> yeah, op- opposite <laughs> opposite set of muscles to the drawing muscles. Exactly, sure. exactly. <laughs> and that's I think there you know you get back problems really back shoulder hand problems really easily mm. if you don't take care of your body. So I do that, and then I also try to take walks. Um, even if it's just to the grocery store, I don't online shop for groceries for that very reason. Um, like, you know, just going outside, touching grass, if you will, yeah. <laughs> is um, super important. I would recommend that everyone does this. Uh, please do this, young artists, if anyone is listening. <laughs> um, don't be like me. Don't end up with like a sore back and like chronic shoulder pain. Um, but Oh, yes, I also go to a chiropractor um, mm-hmm. who is, uh, I, I don't know how he does the things he does, but <laughs> it's really helpful. And it, so if you can set those things up for yourself, please do. Um, don't gamble with your health. Honestly, it's not worth it. Is there anything that you want to see in the future of the webcomic industry? You know, one of the things we really like is you're a, a comic artist that has an understanding of Chinese, Canadian, and Japanese culture. And the, the way that you tell stories is going to be different from others. And, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that there's a place like Webtoon where you can tell that story. Are there other things that you want to see in the future as a member of the webcomic uh, community? I'm, first of all, just grateful to be kind of in this community and happy to be um, able to share my work and have it reach the people it does. I think one thing I would like to see for just as improvements for the future is better ways to monetize uh, fair working conditions and a way for people who want to do it full time to actually do it full time without, you know, feeling anxious about their finances. I'm lucky that I am able to kind of finance my own work, uh, but I, I think if I were trying to make it as a full time artist um, as a freelance artist um, especially it would be extremely like anxiety inducing and I don't I don't think I could do it in its current condition so mm. better ways to monetize better working conditions um, more collaboration maybe yeah I, I hope to see it you mentioned there's other ways for you to support yourself as a comic artist do you have a wish that you could do this full-time or are you kind of happy with the balance that you've struck with your outside job and uh, being a comic producer? Yeah, so I mean, I'm quite happy right now, to be completely honest. Doing, like, creating full-time is a whole different beast. And I'm not sure if I am the right person to take that beast on, to be honest. Um, And I, I think that doing multiple things can actually put you in a a good mindset um, for creating, uh, just because you you are like constantly getting like a f- separate flow of new ideas and new experiences, um, and also building up like different skills on the side. I like to think it would make me a more complete person, if that makes any sense at all. Um, it also helps me relate to people uh, that are not creators and that are not um, in this industry as well. So, and I think that perspective is uh, important. 
and uh, you know there's like online discourse in this industry about like going out and like people needing to touch grass and I think you know having something on the side is actually one of the ways that you could do that um, another thing is just with the industry as it is now, the demand on workload. I don't know if necessarily that is something I want to take on at the moment, but we don't know. In the future, let's see if there's a great opportunity. Please hit me up, though. Like, I mean, I'm always <laughs> happy to chat about like things like publishing opportunities and uh, this and that as well. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you think about your future? Are there certain things that you want to do? Yes, I want to create as much as possible. And I do have another series that I want to make after Villainous for Hire. I'm not sure if it will be a webtoon or if it will be like, let's say, a novel or like something else that's a little bit easier on my hand. But (laughs) I do want to continue in historical fantasy. Maybe I'll take on like challenging myself to write in different genres, maybe like YA or like whatever it is. It's important for me to continue to create because I'm a bit of a compulsive creator. I just feel complete when I'm like working on something. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Well, we'll be rooting for you. I'm very excited to see what you do next. And, you know, as someone that has said, you know, I'm like a story first creator. I like the fact that you're like, you know what, maybe it's a novel next time. <laughs> yeah. I think people are, are excited to see whatever story you have next. Are you ready to close things out with Rapid Fire Run? Sure, go for it. What fictional character best describes your personality? Oh my God, I actually looked this up because I could not think of anything. Uh-huh. And so I looked um, up my, you know, characters that share your MBTI and I'm an INTJ. So actually, a lot of the fictional characters that have the same MBTR are like villains. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so like, think like Walter White or like Yagami Light or like, you know, that those kinds of characters. But I think maybe one person that I, I felt like I relate to recently is Beth Harmon from Queen's Gambit. But mm. I'm not nearly as confrontational um, nor ambitious there was something that I really admired about her um, as I was watching that series, maybe like her tenacity. I think that's, I think she might be pretty close. There's also this character from this Chinese drama. It's called The Story of Ming Lan. Um, and her name is Ming Lan. She's the protagonist. I would say I kind of aspire to be like her because she's like a woman who had, who lived in a uh, feudal society and really made the best out of her situation and kind of always lived looking forward. And I think that's what I want to manifest for myself. Our producer, Jacob, is a uh, INTJ as well. And uh, if I had known you were an INTJ, I would be a little bit on guard because I remember (laughs) looking at this list and I remember seeing Walter White. And I I think I also saw like Sasuke on there. And I'm like, okay, I'm dealing with the, I'm dealing with some killers. So uh, I'm an ENFJ. I would be on guard. But yeah, Beth Harmon, good shout. Which three comics would you take with you on a desert island? If I had to be on a desert island, I might want to take series that make me happy. Maybe like really happy yeah. right? because I'm in a desolate situation. So maybe um, things that I watched as a teen that I really enjoyed, uh, like Full Metal Alchemist, One Piece, Honey and Clover. I think those are like some of my favorite series as a teen and even to this day. But yeah, Shonen. Maybe, you know, I could like make a raft out of my one piece volumes and like that's the thing with one piece you're gonna get volume and you can do so much with that yeah you can just make a a raft and like paddle myself to safety (laughs) 
What's your favorite scene from any comic, you know, manga, manhwa, webtoon that pops into your mind? Oh my goodness. There's a couple. I think one that just came really top of mind is there's this series called One Punch Man. Uh, I think everyone knows, but uh, <laughs> there's one hero in it called uh, Licenseless Writer, and he's like a C rank, like a extra character. I really loved that one scene where he had to fight against an enemy that he had like no chance of beating. Um, I think it was the Sea King. Was that what he was called? It was like this giant like lizard creature. The Moomin Moomin Rider, that guy. Yeah, Moomin Rider. I think is the <laughs> Japanese name, and he was just like, it, no, it's not about whether I can win or not. It's about <laughs> me having a face here right here right now. And I was like, oh. so I think that's one that comes to mind. Oh, there's there's so many from webtoons though, but if I get started, I'll continue talking. So <laughs> I'll just say that one. Women writer is like how I go through life. It's like yeah, we're pretty ill equipped to deal with whatever's happening, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through it. So I like it. <laughs> I re- I resonate with that one. If you could have dinner with any cr- uh, creator, who would it be? Any comic creator? Yeah. So I think you say Matsui Sensei. So again, the mm. author for uh, Nogami Nero, um, Assassination Classroom, and a few other series. Um, I think he has really interesting ideas, and I would love to pick his brain. Um, he's he's just if you ever read uh, Nogami Nero, it's like this really super interesting series. Um, mm. It's really it's kind of old, but uh, I would recommend it um, just because I've never seen like um, you know these things being like just some of his ideas are just is this really Shonen Jump kind of thing. So yeah, I would love to chat with him if I ever have the chance. And then finally, if you were able to get dinner with any character, who would it be? Any character. So any fictional character is okay, right? Yes. Uncle Iroh from um, The Last <laughs> Airbender. I think it would help my character development. <laughs> you know, he would help me develop into a better person, hopefully. So um, yeah, he's so wise. I would love to become him one day. <laughs> It's a good mix of like being able to have fun and being able to learn from someone. So yeah, yeah, he'd be a great one. Well, Akimiya, thank you so much for taking some time to join us on the show today. Listener, please go onto Webtoon and check out Villainous for Hire. From there, you'll be able to find Akimiya's card. And from there, you'll be able to go to their Instagram, Twitter, and find all sorts of goodies buried underneath. Please give Villainous for Hire read. I think once you read half an episode worth of story and look at the art, you'll understand what we're talking about here. But Aki, thank you so much for taking the time and it was an absolute pleasure to have you today. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any feedback or want to be featured as our next guest, please write to us at pixelsandpanelspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, or give us a five-star rating. See you all next week.